Hello, John Edwards. I'm coming to you live from Long Beach, New York. And behind me is one of his greatest creations ever. I'm so lucky that I get to visit it whenever I want. You know what's sad is we were, what, a block from your house a couple of months ago, and and we didn't even know. I knew you lived in Long, Long Island. Yes. Just full disclosure, Maria is a kind of cousin by marriage. She is my daughter-in-law's cousin, my grandkids' cousin-in-law, cousin, nanny. Depend depending on the day, we could call you my father-in-law, my cousin-in-law by marriage. My Kristen can be my second cousin. Mm -hmm. Lila and Maxwell are technically my third cousins, but I'm an older generation, so they call me Aunt Maria. Yeah. Well, did you ever watch that show called The Nanny? Did I ever watch what? The Nanny. Yes. The, we used to call you The Nanny. Because That's right. My daughter Jennifer loved watching The Nanny. And oh, did you, she? Yeah. When you showed up, we said, that's The Nanny. There's a helicopter going over. I don't know if my microphone is going to be able to pick that up, but I'm out here in the elements, so you'll have to excuse the, uh, look, it's coming in a second. Man, I wish I was there. I don't think you can see it. A bright yellow helicopter. I love it. Man, I love it. So that hotel that we stayed in had a weird name like albatross or something the alegria alegria where is that yes for your i'll show you it's right there that's crazy that's right look nobody works hey jr everybody's that's out crazy. here swimming. I, was I know it this is a huge uh, real estate building that's beautiful. That's happening, but we'll talk about real estate another day. We'll definitely have a, pot, a four part podcast here. Okay. Well, you know, um, I remember, I think it was around 2016 or so, maybe sooner. I was in California with Lee, and uh, we went to Yosemite Park. You ever heard of Yosemite? Yeah. And it was when I was going through my, you know, it was the first part of my Catholic journey. And you showed up for some reason. I don't know what happened, but you called Connie or somebody late, somebody, you showed up and you were going to, you were going to be confirmed, even though you had been Catholic all your life, you were, had never been confirmed. So me and you got in this conversation about the precious blood. And no I'm, way. I can't even remember that this was a real conversation, but that's definitely what happened. I forgot yeah, about this. Yeah, I was like, how how cool is this that that Kristen's cousin, that you know, our families are, you know, like, you know, all married up and all, and she's wanting to, you know, she's getting confirmed too. So I what when were you confirmed? Do you remember? Yes, I remember exactly. I'll tell you exactly what happened. So I am what would be considered a cradle Catholic. 
So I was baptized when I was a young baby in a beautiful little white dress. And just right like clockwork, I went and started my communion classes, which here we start in the first and second grade. Second grade is when you get your communion. So you start religious ed. So I went to religious ed and we went to church pretty regularly. And I got pneumonia on the year we were supposed to get our communion. So I'd done some religious ed, but then I got so sick that I couldn't finish. And then I just never got sent back. That was just like a silly, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. It was like, they just didn't send me back next year and we were still going to church anyway. So I always joked that I was an imposter in the Catholic church all of those years. And then, um, I was 26 or 27, exactly the right timeline that you're saying. And I had come back. I'd lived in Alabama. I'd lived in a couple of different places. And I came back to my church here in Long Beach. And I casually mentioned to somebody that uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I've actually never been confirmed. I've never received first communion. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I, for real, I haven't. And I said, you got to take care of that. And they set me up with a Monsignor at a church in another town. So I would meet with him every Saturday for, I don't know, maybe it was eight weeks. And it was sort of like a, you know, when people want to go convert to get married and there's like a set program, it was like a religious ed that I did with him. But it was bizarre because I was somebody who went to church every single week and did all that stuff. So it was a unique situation. And the Monsignor was hilarious. He was good. I was very honest with him. He was very honest with me. And then one day he was like, all right, you're ready. You can go. And so I received my first Holy Communion, but I have celiac disease. This is a huge controversy. I never want to debate with anybody, but my personal choice and my choice with my priests and the Monsignor here is that I do not receive a gluten-free host because, and again, this is just going to spiral people into having discussions and comments about, there. there's a controversy of whether or not, if it's not wheat, it's not valid. And so they make the host with very low wheat or low gluten or gluten-free completely. But his body is the blood. So the precious blood is just good to go and there are no issues. So I don't receive any sort of a host. I only receive the precious blood. So I had you my know, communion. I, had, I haven't had the, the precious blood in, I want to say years. Since COVID? Yeah. Right. So I've always, I always receive the, the precious blood, uh, in my own separate chalice. I'm a Eucharistic minister, so I'm up there anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, so I set everything up. So the priest just has his chalice. I have my little chalice that we set up next to it and I just sneak and nobody notices or pays attention. But every so often people will come up and say, Maria, how come you don't receive the host? And we usually just tell people it's a personal choice because we don't want a whole bunch of people stepping forward and saying, oh, you know what? I'm on a gluten-free diet and, right. you know, because I get violently ill if I take it. But I remember you came to Midnight Mass here at my church a few years ago. And um, I remember we called the priest, Father Jerebic, your favorite. 
and and you had a special request, and they yeah. had the chalice ready for you, and you went to this past one too, didn't you? This past I sure did. I've yes. been two or three with you. Um, I've never had an issue at any church. I've traveled quite a bit, um, just domestically, you know, and I go talk to them ahead of time and it's never been an issue. They've always figured out a way to just do the extra chalice and they're always happy to receive Catholics. I think the Catholic church is really happy if somebody walks up and is like, Hey, can you help me to receive? They are, they are happy to accommodate. So when you were growing up, um, and y'all went to church every Sunday, what kind of, uh, like a relationship did you have with God during those years? Was it, um, see, I only know you as a family, as right. family. and, um, you know, I, I mean, I would work with you if you would move down here and, you know, I, I would work with you in real estate. I, I'd be in business with you. So I trust you and think a lot of you, but I don't know. I don't know you outside of being family and Catholic. Right. So, so it's interesting because a lot of people would, would assume, you know, I'm Catholic and I stayed being Catholic because I was raised that, but we all know people can be raised Catholic. They can go to Catholic school. They can have Catholic parents. And as soon as they're old enough, they'll never return to the church. So what happened with me is um, that my suffering started really, really early in my life. And, you know, everybody is a product of their environment. And the people that were raising me had a very traumatic life and a traumatic lifestyle and they didn't have good coping skills. So I grew up in a place where the people around me that were supposed to make me feel safe and protected and who were supposed to be taking care of me made me very fearful and made me very uncomfortable. And it was to say to say the least, I was never uh, physically abused, but there was a lot of emotional abuse. There's going to be a naked man that walks past as we talk about this. Don't mind him. The uh -huh. Lord made all of us. <laughs> it's like the naked. Oh. There you go. Um, I know Where? it. I know about the stripper with the, the stripper with the tassel. So uh -huh. it was, um, so it was just a very scary and sad place to grow up. The house that I grew up in was very sad. It was very scary. And I wasn't getting abused physically, but other people were. And I don't, it was just innate. I don't remember a time that I didn't talk to Jesus and ask him for help. So I think from a very young age, whether it was from being inside church or that I remembered Jesus telling me before I got earthside to always talk to him, I don't know which one it was, but I was basically out of a movie in a closet praying to God, you know, and like begging, begging Jesus to protect me, to protect my siblings and to make it stop, you know, everything that was going on. So it was like, if you fast forward to now, 
forget everything else I've ever been through. For me, God has to be real because if I relied on, you know, my upbringing and thought that's how life is and that's how humans are and that's the end of it, it just couldn't possibly be. I, I wouldn't be alive without without his protection. It just wouldn't have survived any of that. So that's where that, that story, I can tell you a lot more side stories about it, but that's where that started. So he's always been very close to me. And it's funny because people say here, you know, I'm in New York. It's not popular for people to go to church here. It's certainly not popular for millennial to sit in Catholic church every week. So people say you're so religious and I still don't identify as religious and I don't quite understand what they mean by that. But I do say I have a relationship. I have a very strong relationship, but I don't consider myself religious. If sitting in church one hour a week is considered religious, I just, I can't help you. You know what I mean? It's nothing. That's that the least we could do for everything God's done for us is spend an hour, you know? The parish that you attend, is it far from where you're at right now? No. So there's one that's about six blocks in that direction, and the other one is about 15 blocks in that direction. And wow. starting in June, starting in July and August, we will have mass on the beach. For eight weeks in a row, we get special permission from the diocese because you are not supposed to receive, you know, the host outside of church. And we're not supposed to have church outside. But Father Brian had a compelling argument to the diocese that the numbers dwindled so bad in the summer. And he said, if people aren't going to come to church because they're going to the beach, then I'm going to bring church to the beach. And he does. And we have about a thousand people show up every week and we do a full mass and we, um, we do, we do a full mass and we have the whole thing right here, right here where I'm sitting. There are some real Christian Catholics in Long Island. Yes. Oh yeah. We have they a do. ton. Yeah, we have a ton of Christian. We have a ton of Catholics. It's not popular to be other religions. Uh, I would say we're in Alabama being Catholic is the minority here. It's very popular for everybody to be Irish Catholic or Italian Catholic um, and then Jewish, you know, Muslim, all the other stuff. But we don't deal with Baptist, Protestant Methodist. Again, people could jump on here and comment and say, I'm, I'm from Long Island and I'm a Methodist. Good for you. I've never met you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But everybody's Catholic. Everybody's, I, I would say that's the go-to. Not necessarily practicing. That's our police. Yeah. Thank you, City of Long Beach Police. They drive mm -hmm. by on quads, make sure that we're safe. That's good. They need yeah. to catch list. Sorry? They need to catch that serial dude. The Lit. Long Island serial killer. Yeah. He's around there somewhere. He's probably that uh, man that walked past here before. It might have been the cop that waved at you. You never That's, know. It's all of them. It could be me. 
Ah, it ain't you. You couldn't. You wouldn't hurt no one. No, it you're, couldn't be. It couldn't be. So I can't imagine a thousand people at the beach. Did y'all do the Eucharistic parade this past weekend? We didn't. No, Christy. we didn't. We didn't. We're not good at that stuff. It's like our church grew too big and we have three parishes with one priest that's directing all three parishes. And we have a lot of events and we have a lot of, but like how you guys had the rose petals and all that were, we haven't gotten that far. We'll get there. Yeah. I mean, if you can imagine, I'm allowed to give out the body of Christ and I'm allowed to lecture dressed like this. You know, I'm in a beach, I'm in a dress and flip flops. And when I walk into Jerebex, I think uh, I probably wouldn't be allowed there with my tattoos showing and all that stuff. But it me. You never know. Uh, all, everybody on the pews got tattoos. I'm the only one that don't have any. In the pews, but not at the altar. How do you know? I know priests with tattoos. I mean, they're not showing them. Oh, well, you, okay. You got the one. What's that say right there? What's that say? Uh, you sound like Lee. He would ask me constantly, what does that say? What does that say? This is... Um, there's an essay from Walt Whitman, Blades of Grass, called This is What You Shall Do. So you just have to look it up. It's like a very long essay that says a bunch of silly stuff on it. And then this is actually a Buddhist mantra. I am obviously not a Buddhist. It's an inside joke with my father. And I got it while he was still alive because I wanted some sort of a a tattoo for my father. But I didn't want to put like, you know, daddy or anything weird but that's what it was i was wanting to tell you go ahead tell me what you want to tell me i will tell you about the tattoo and then i want to tell you about how um how i explained my faith to to children or to people people have been asking me recently for some guidance on prayer uh this tattoo this buddhist mantra hurt so bad i had to stop and drink some orange juice because i started to black out so if you pinch the outside of your arm right here you know it kind of hurts a little but if you now pinch the inside of your arm and just do little pinches it is so it's so painful so there's there are certain spots i have some on my wrist that that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger Certain things hurt and certain things didn't. But um, I listened to your podcast with Connie, uh, the episode called Angry with God. I thought it was really great how you guys described the suffering and prayer because somebody said to me just in the last week or so, I said, I think you need to change the way you're praying. She was texting me that she was really, really, really upset about something. And I, and she said, aren't you supposed to pray? I thought Jesus was supposed to take away my pain if I asked him to. And I said, no, ma'am, that is not how that works. And she said, well, how does it work? And I, and in, when Connie was describing that you prayed, for patience, but you have to be careful that you pray for patience because it comes with suffering and all of that. So I explained to this girl that no matter what God's will 
is God's will. There's nothing that we can do to alter or change it. And it doesn't matter if you kick and scream and beg for certain things to happen because you might be praying for the wrong thing. And why does it matter? What's the point in begging him and asking him to change your circumstances if all of, if everything that happens is so deliberate? She didn't understand that either. So I said, all right, here's what I tell my kids when I teach religious ed. So I teach, you know, the first and second and third graders religious ed. And that's a lot of information for children that age, even for adults that come into the Catholic church. It really doesn't make a lot of sense if you're not in it and you don't believe it. It's very hard to explain. But the way that I feel and the way that I pictured it is like this. So, you know, on your first day, your first weeks leading up to your first day of kindergarten and you get your kids a fresh new backpack and their fresh new outfit and you tell them what it's going to be like. Okay, so picture that that's, that's us in heaven with Jesus because we're with him before we come here. And I'm sitting there and I'm ready and he's got all the kids ready lined up and it's like, okay, who's ready to go meet their mommies and daddies? You're about to go earthside. Here's what's going to happen. And he gives you your backpack and in your backpack, it has everything, everything that you're going to need to survive whatever it is that his will is for you. So his will for you all that exists, all the tools that you need, all the resources that you need are in this blueprint in your backpack, but you don't get to see it. But he sends you with it. He sends you with it and he tells you, no matter what happens, you're about to see some really bad things. You're going to experience some hardships and you're going to see some bad people. And no matter what happens, I want you to keep your eyes on me. That's what Jesus says to us. And and you go, but what about if, no, 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 no. You just keep your eyes on me. But what about if it gets, no, you just keep your eyes on me. I promise you that you have everything that you need with you. Just keep your eyes on me. And so then you start to panic, right? Because we're with Jesus and it's all safe and it's happy and it's wonderful. And then it's like, we're being pulled away on this train. Like in the romantic comedies, when you call back to someone and you're like, wait, and he's just like, keep your eyes on me. And that's the last time we see him. And then boom, we're screaming in a hospital room. We're born. We're here. We're like, what happened? I want to go back. What's going on? What are we doing here? Now we're earthside. And people forget immediately that God said, keep your eyes on me and pay attention to him. So now we go through and we're walking through life and hard things happen because humans have free will. So other people hurt us and we hurt other people. Um, there's betrayal in every single person because even the people that you love and protect you, like my father betrayed me because he died. You know, so it's like no matter what, humans have free will and they're not immortal. So you have to keep your eyes on God the entire time. And wouldn't that bring us peace? Wouldn't that bring us peace if he sent us down here and he said, it's going to be real horrible. It's going to be a disaster, going to be very scary, but you're going to come back when you're finished and all you have to do is just keep your eyes on me. You know, what do you think about that? Do you feel like that's a little bit 
of a an explanation that you can tell? Yeah. I'm interested in all uh, and how to how to pray because you just you just said something that that triggered something on my mind. Now I can't remember what it what it was. You have I'm to in. take you have to take notes. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I was raised Baptist and Pentecostal, and you know, I wasn't raised in church to think I was going to suffer. Right. Um. When I was when I was born and raised Baptist, it was um, everything's forgiven no matter what. You know, once I asked Jesus into my life, past, present, future sins, it, you know, it was kind of like the image I got was that Jesus was going to become my drinking buddy, my, right. my my party, my wingman in life. Right. Right. But really, it's him serving me, blessing me, guiding me. You know what I mean? It was yeah. And then I became Pentecostal, you know, word of faith, prosperity. And then it was all about, you know, if you walk with God, he wants you to be rich, healthy, wealthy and wise. And if there's any trouble in your life, it's the devil. And it's your job to run the devil out because you're not supposed to be suffering. Right. So, the only suffering we were taught that we were subject to was persecution. You know, people making fun of you, Bible, or that you're going to church or something. But so I think for the past 60 years, I have had a sense of entitlement that I'm too good to suffer. I'm an American. I'm a born-again believer. I'm a king's kid, and the king's kid has everything. Right. I was thinking about a song. I went to this little country church. This was years ago, out in the boonies. You know how they have singings? So this, yes. this old man got up there, and I'll never forget him, but he sang this old hymn. I've never heard it. He was like, uh, shake hands with a poor boy. Who owns everything? And he's talking about, you know, he's just a poor redneck hillbilly, but his father owns the whole world, so he owns it, is what he's saying. But to me, that's still a sense of entitlement. You know, my dad owns everything, so it's mine. Damn it. And I want it now. It's mine. And there's, I was never taught to suffer. I was never taught uh, that the Christian life was was a, a hard life. It's hard. It, it, it's suffering sometimes just to pray a rosary, you know? You know what's so interesting is um, I sort of had a privilege in growing up in a situation that was, that had so much suffering because it wasn't fun at the time but I never thought that the world was good or that people were good. I always, from the start, knew. And it wasn't because the grown-ups said anything. It was because of what the grown-ups were doing that I said, no, we're not supposed to trust anybody here or what's going on here. This is all evil. 
And I just got to ride this out until I get back home where I belong. And when you say that about, you know, that entitlement that you have, did it ever occur to you guys? What did you think about, you know, people who were born and Connie's talked about this a little bit. What, what do you have to say for children that are born into poverty and AIDS in Africa? You know, what did they do then? What would the Protestants say? Or was it Pentecostal? What, what's their explanation for why what, did they not pray enough? Or what are their circumstances? Well, whatever the circumstance is, they would say that's not God's will. If you speak the word, tithe, this and that, God will bring you up out of that. And you could be living in one of those big old condos. Right, right there beside you. That's you, not uh, it. Hey, hallelujah. I got a guest. <laughs> Hi. Um, I have a couple of uh, I have a couple of Bible verses here that uh, it makes me feel a little bit preachy, like the charismatic churches that are always in controversy, like Hillsong and all of them. But I always write notes and I keep Bible verses that just remind me. Um, I think all of us that are Catholic, you and Brian mentioned on your podcast a couple weeks ago, it doesn't matter how much of it is memorized or what the people know. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And it matters to the people who don't believe in it. But for those of us that do, I don't care. You know, and what I say to people who are atheists and agnostic, they try to debate me and they say, but this, and I say, look, even if it's not real and even if nothing happened when I died, it's the only will I have to live. I would have no will to live. And that sounds really morbid to people who are not Christians, but there's just too much suffering in the world for this to be it. And if I knew with absolute certainty that this was it, I'd be out. So would you be out. But my favorite Bible verse ever that I say over and over and over, it's Psalms 3 verses five and six, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So I know the Bible's an interpretation, right? And that certain people wrote it and it was this year and it was that year. It was a game of telephone. I don't care. I don't care because we follow and we are moved by like, Bob Marley lyrics, you know, like, why can't we be moved by an interpretation of something that somebody said all these thousands of years ago? I don't care. It brings me peace. It brings me peace. And it makes sense to me with all of the suffering and all of the evil. Look, I live, I live in New York. So not only did I grow up in the households I grew up in, and I was a product of separate parents. I mean, when I was 13, we went through 9-11. And four months after that, I had viral meningitis was my body was permanently sick after that i suffered with really bad panic attacks from that age onward I was terrified of i mean we our whole sky was was dark we could see the skyline this is the ocean side you can't see it on the bay side though 
We could see the New York City skyline and those black skies from 9-11. It was terrifying. And our oh. our, par- our you know parents and neighbors were missing. A lot of people didn't come home. And then you pepper in being a teenager and being terrified of the world and hormones and parents and uh, school and bullies. And then I got a brain aneurysm when I was 22 and didn't think I was going to live to see 23. So my whole life is a, is a testimony. It doesn't matter. So when I say that Bible verse, I want to say it to you one more time now that you know about it. It's trust in the Lord and all trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. If I leaned on my own understanding, what would I understand? You know, it doesn't matter. I can't, I can't. And it's in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So every time one of those things happened, it was just another testimony that you're right. It's supposed to be a disaster down here. And when we get to the other side, that's where it's better. Our treasure is in heaven. It's, it's not here. And he said, John sixteen thirty three, I've said these things to you that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And you could just Google all of these, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for peace and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's where I feel like he said over and over, keep your eyes on me when you get down here. And the last one is in Proverbs sixteen nine. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And both of our lives would look a lot different if we got to see around the corner and plan our ways, wouldn't it? If you got to see around the corner, you probably would have said, Mm-mm, I'm not going that direction. Right. I don't want to see that. That's around the corner. I'm not going. I'm not moving forward another step. Right? Yeah. 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 You're right. Um, same with the pandemic. Same with the pandemic happening. It's a good thing that we can't see around the corner. It's a good thing that we don't pray and say um, what we want or what we need exactly that day. Because if we would have been able to see around the corner that that was going to happen and said, hey, you're going to be locked in your house with your wives and your husbands for everyone would have said absolutely. Everybody would have been dead by Tuesday. They all would have shot each other. Yeah. I know. Um, so how do you pray personally, Maria? I never pray to get a certain job, to get a certain person, to get a certain house for a certain deal to close. I pray always and every single time to please make sure that I could hear God's voice over the noise of the world and that I am following his will for me. Because it's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to get discouraged. And the enemy comes for us when we are the most vulnerable. He loves to tell us 
that we are, you know, the enemy has quick access to people that are sad, depressed. That is, that's the best time to go in. It's like a, a drunk person. It's like being drunk. It's real easy to take advantage of a drunk person, make them sing a karaoke song they would never do, make <laughs> them go home with someone they'd never go home with, make them drive a car. You could get a drunk person to do just about anything. The enemy can get people to do just about anything when you're feeling depressed and anxious. So forget what I want, because whatever my idea is for what is supposed to work and what is supposed to happen, there's no way that it's God's will, because I wouldn't have picked having meningitis or seeing 9-11 or having a brain aneurysm. I wouldn't have picked those things, but surviving those things and getting through them and having a stronger faith and knowing that I get to get out of here. Eventually I do pick that. And whatever it is that I have to write out is a waste of my time because his will for us already exists. I don't think that it can change. I don't know for sure, but I don't think his will for us can change. I think your entire life is written out before you get here. I programmed I think it's a blueprint that he puts in your backpack and I think it exists. Just like Connie says, Jennifer spent every single day that she was supposed to and that was his will for her. I believe that he doesn't plan it as he goes along, as we go along. I think the people we are supposed to meet, I, I believe all of it is extremely deliberate. And that's hard because then when painful things happen, we say, well, why well, why did that happen and why was that deliberate? I don't know, but it was it was written ahead of time that we were supposed to experience that. And I've seen plenty of times that my suffering has helped a lot of other people because now I have coping skills to be able to help people to overcome things that they go through. Hi, Taco Nacho. <laughs> somebody just said said hi down there i don't know i just think well talk to me about um about that part of it and our how do you feel about our will and the way that i pray does that make sense to you yeah it makes a lot of sense um you know you think about the, our father taco nacho if you think about praying to our father, it's a simple prayer, right? It's like that big. Yeah. I told Lee, you know, Lee was asking me, you know, when he became Catholic, how do you pray? Because, you know, Pentecostal pray for two hours in tongues. But I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah prayer this big that Jesus formulated. And you can't out pray Jesus. You can't outthink Jesus. You can't outsmart him. You can't outspiritual. Jesus gave us a prayer to pray. And that prayer covers every base. And I feel like I get in trouble when I start adding and make that prayer this long, this long, this long. It's like, um, you know, I've prayed things for you before. And they didn't work out the way I wanted them to work out. You know, I had some plans for you. And I prayed, and I'm weird because I'm kind of like uh, rosary addicted. 
you know, I've gotten to where I love it. See, like if I lived down there, up there, if I lived up there by you, every everyone in Long Beach would know me. They would say, that's that dude that walks up and down the beach every sunrise, every sunset, carrying those weird-looking beads. That's what they would think, because I would wear And it just seems to me that when I add, when I add, okay, it's like this. This is going to sound weird. You see stuff on the internet about some little kid dying or sick and got tubes and everything that says, pray for little so-and-so. He's, you know, X amount, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I ain't praying for him because if I pray for him, the kid's going to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've, told, I've had people, I've, I've had told people, don't ask me to pray for you. You know what? Oh, it, my it's, word. Get somebody else to pray for you. It's <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just like, when I ask God for a lot of stuff, I get the opposite, or the opposite happens. You know what's so funny? Somebody, uh, somebody that I'm related to, that I'm not awfully fond of, will say often, "I don't understand what's going on. I'm praying for you." And I say, "Please don't." <laughs> I say, "Please don't." Whatever you're doing or saying, please do and say the opposite. Yeah. And it's like when I pray for my friends, you know, I will pray. I will pray for specific things, but it always goes back to pre, you know, please pray. It says they have 10% battery. I should be okay. But if we drop dead, we'll do a part two. Don't worry. Um, I pray a lot for, for people to just hear God's will. I pray a lot for people to feel God's hand on their shoulder because there are a lot of people that I love and a lot of people around me right now. Look how many people are this way. There, look at all these people. Yeah. Do you know how how many of these people think that they have never felt God's love? They don't believe in God's love. They think that what they're doing right now is a matter of circumstance. They worked hard. So they're at the beach right now because either their parents worked hard or they worked hard. So they get to have the day off, whatever it is. And it's just not. And they think when good things happen, it's because they did it, you know, and it's, it, it, it ain't it. That's not how it, that's not how it works. That's just not how it works at all. So I think it's a waste of time to pray for certain things. I will never, especially in real estate, it's a good example because that's my. I'm that, well, boy. No, it's it's my it's my career. So here's the thing: I will never pray for a certain house to close or for a certain deal to close because I. I don't want that responsibility if it's not God's will for that person to live there. And I don't think anybody's prayers are so powerful that we could change the outcome anyway. But I wouldn't want the responsibility if we could. Why would I pray for this couple walking by me right now that this house closes on Saturday if you know, who knows, in six months, there may be something, it malfunctions, the whole house burns down, and they're inside of it, or a tree falls and crushes them all. 
who knows what what will happen but i don't want i don't want the responsibility of praying for people's future i never pray for people to get pregnant there are people with infertility issues i don't pray for that because god sends babies when the world is ready for your baby not when you're ready for your baby that's just a gift that the lord lets you be a vessel and god puts a baby in your tummy but god doesn't send the baby to be a gift to you God sends the baby because we all have a purpose when we walk this earth. So, you know, if Jennifer wasn't born at exactly, and uh, what is it called? It just slipped my mind. If she wasn't conceived, you know, there are so many, there are so many opportunities for it to be a different person you know, for it to be a different sperm and an egg, right? But for that exact one to come out and be Lila, to be Maxwell, to be John Edwards, to be Lee Edwards, to be Brian Edwards, to be me, it has to be so deliberate. It has to be such a perfect timing that only God can make and create. And then like, I wouldn't pray for somebody to get a baby right now because it might be the wrong one. It might be the wrong one. And it's not for our enjoyment that he gives us children. It's like he can't just send them down here like chickens, just drop a bunch of eggs and they hatch. They have to be inside of a human being to grow and to be born. And so and hope that they hope that they're good people and they contribute. But we all have a so that's a big thing. People say, pray for me. I'm trying to get pregnant. I'm like, oh, yeah, I will. I will. And I'm not praying for them to get pregnant. I pray. Get pregnant with a serial killer. <laughs> I pray. I pray, Lord, I pray that you are helping them to follow your will. I pray that if they are meant to have a child, that you will help them to find peace in the meantime, that you will send them the right, you know. But it's never, it's never, I hope that my friend gets this job. I hope that they get pregnant this month. There might be a baby that is in a really bad, dangerous situation in somebody's tummy right now, and they need to be adopted because if somebody doesn't adopt them, that baby's not going to survive, you know, and maybe their mother isn't going to survive. But if somebody got pregnant, then they wouldn't maybe need to even look to adoption. You see what I mean? So there could be a lot of suffering. Sorry for all the people walking around. There can be a lot of suffering in infertility, but I wouldn't pray for you to get pregnant because I've heard too many testimonies, haven't you? I mean, things like adoption don't just happen because people thought about it one day. They happen and they stem from fertility issues, usually. And then people, you're looking so confused. You're like, yeah, it's crazy. But you know, it's like, then people adopt these children, they have them, and they think, I could have never lived my life without this child. This is my child. I feel like I gave birth to this child. I feel like God sent this child directly for me. And he did. And you were out there begging and praying and screaming, please let me get pregnant. Please let me get pregnant. Well, if you got pregnant, you wouldn't have gotten that baby. And that baby wouldn't have been saved from the circumstance that they were about to be born into. It's not always a bad one, but I'm just giving an example of why I don't pray for things yeah. to happen. 
Have yeah. you seen the that new thing? I don't know if it's Netflix or I think it's Peacock about John Paul, Pope John Paul. Oh, yeah, watch it. I'm going to send you a link. I'm going to send okay. you a link. Me and Brian watched about half of it last night. I went over to their house and me and Connie watched it the night before. And I think, you know, the person portrayed in that movie is like the best person in the world. Okay. And his life, you know, a lot of people don't know Pope John Paul II's life, how much he suffered. But by the time he was 20 years old, everyone he cared about was dead. Everyone, every family member, every friend, everyone he cared about was had either been executed or died in that uh, scarlet fever, Spanish flu, whatever. And he had a hard life. Man. He got ditched by his girlfriend. You know, he was in a theater, right? He was in a theater, and he had a, a, a co, a, 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 an actress he worked with a lot. They you know, they did good together, and she was Jewish, and she, she just come up to him and said, I'm out of here. Why? He said, I'm Jew, Jewish. We're in Poland between Germany and Russia. I'm out. And it yeah. tore him up. And uh, any, anyhow, you were talking about God's will. The Germans were, were soliciting citizens to work in a rock quarry. And the Polish citizens wouldn't do it out of spite, pride, whatever, rebellion. I don't blame them. Well, uh, John Paul volunteered and because he said they didn't have any money. So it was like manual labor, 12 hours a day. He said it was freezing cold. He had to walk to work, three miles of work. He said he had to rub Vaseline all over his face to yeah. cut the end. I don't know. I don't live in cold places. But. It's because it's uh, it'll per it'll protect you because your skin gets really dry and it literally cracks. It's so it's so. Uh, I I can't describe it. You need that stuff on your face, though. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, he said one day, you know, while he was working in the mine, he said it was dangerous. People were getting killed at work. He said that. The Germans come through that little town. They executed everyone while he was at work. So he gets off work. He comes home, and there's been a mass execution. And he was spared because he humbled himself in front of his enemy. He humbled himself in front of his enemy and said, I'll work. Because he, he, you know, he has an elderly father. You know, it's all. Just everybody was dropping dead around him. He had a really hard life. And to think how he went from, you know, Krakow, 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 Poland, in a in a ghetto, right? Okay. He's a, he's a, he went from there to being the most seen person in history. More human eyeballs have seen Pope John Paul II than have seen any human being that's ever existed in person how did that happen you know to go from nothing nobody no chance he got he got denied promote i mean it's like everything in his life was pushing him pushing him down pushing him away and uh he said that 
learning how to suffer. He said, you think that these saints had this peaceful grace to bear suffering with? He said, they don't. He said, they, you know, there's a lot of anger, frustration. You get mad at God, get mad at the devil, get mad at your family. You just, you're depressed. And he said, he said, after a long time like that, that that's where he found Christ is in the suffering that some somehow he found Jesus and peace in the suffering. And I don't understand that, you know. I do. I I'm un- not there yet. <laughs> I understand. Uh, I, I only, I have to interrupt you because I'll forget. Otherwise, you know me, you have to interrupt me if you want to get a word in edgewise. That's just uh, what it's like growing up in a house with a bunch of siblings and in New York, we just talk really loud and interrupt each other. Um, I'm not being rude, but that's something I had to adjust to being in the South for sure was doing good waiting. It makes sense to me. You know why? What else did he have left? It's like the only resource you have to begin with is God. And sometimes God has to take every single thing away for you to remember that he said, keep your eyes on me, you know? And instead, the Pope was walking around and I was walking around and you were walking around going, I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a good job. Why is all this bad thing? Why is everything bad happening? And he says in all these Bible verses, he never said, he never said, go, I love you so much. Have a great trip. I'll see you soon. He gave us a hug and he said, I love you so much. And I'm so sorry for what you're about to go through. That's how I picture it. I've never never heard anyone say that before. I think, I think in pictures, I play it like a movie. That's what I picture. I, you know, I keep saying, he said, keep your eyes on me. It doesn't say that anywhere. That's just how I pictured it. You know, I pick, I'm sure somewhere in the Bible, it says, you know, he says in verses, keep your eyes on me. But it's like, when I say, keep your eyes on me, I'm talking about when, you know, when we got our backpacks and our blueprints, I made all of that up. That's how I picture it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think for some people it's horrible and it feels, it's so easy to blame God and it's so easy to be angry at him. But it's like, we're only here for five minutes. You don't need to worry about getting attached to all the people that are here because we're all going to be home together. Now, actually, I was in the Uber on the way to your house on the night that Lee, uh, on the night before Lee passed away. So I had gotten off a plane. I got back on, you know, a plane to come see him. I'd been there the week before. And you guys all called me that morning and said that he was probably going to be going home that day. And so I got on a plane and I did it like an eight hour travel day at least. It was, you know, I went to JFK and I flew to Atlanta and I took the two hour shuttle. And I kept saying to your daughter-in-law, Kristen, my cousin, I said, please tell Lee that I'm on my way but that he doesn't have to wait for me and that he doesn't have to wait for anybody. You know, there's all the old wives tales of, you know, what do you say to somebody who's about to go home? And I thought you should probably just tell him in case he's, in case he cares, 
I'm so vain that I'm like, in case Lee's worried about where I am on his deathbed, will you let him know? <laughs> That's all he was thinking about. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. Where's Maria? Where's oh, Maria? oh my God. Hang on to Maria. I'll tell you, it's rough being in love with a ghost. It's a tough, it's a tough gig. We'll talk they about that. about that, didn't they? I don't know, but it's a, it's not a good time. We'll we'll talk about that on part three, the podcast part three. But I tell you, I talk to everybody about Lee now, and I talk to everybody about Lee then. And before that, I maybe told some people about him, but when I was JFK, Uber to J, it was like my sister drove me to JFK, JFK to Atlanta. Atlanta took groom shuttle transportation from Atlanta to Leeds over by the Bucky's Uber from Bucky's to your house. Right. And the whole time I'm thinking, well, I want him to go home. I don't want him. I don't want him to suffer, but I sure would like to give him a hug while he's still breathing because I just want him to know. I just want him to know. I love him so much. It was, it was really a selfish, it was all selfish. It was all selfish. And I told the Uber driver, just like I told everybody else that day, anybody that I could talk to, anybody who would listen. And people listen to me because I'm cute. I'm approachable. I'm adorable. You know, the Lord made me adorable so I could walk up to strangers and talk to them. And I told them where I was on my way to. And they go, oh, my, well, bless your heart and the whole thing. And I tell the Uber driver and I said, I'm on my way to my friend's house and he's going to die. He's going to go home tonight. You know, you think who would say that to an Uber driver? Me, me for sure. And it was because if you talk to any human, any other human, especially humans of people with faith, um, you, you have something in common with every person. But when you talk to people of faith, it's like nothing. It's just like saying, hey, the weather's nice out. And she jumped into this beautiful monologue. I never got to tell you guys about it. And she said, of course, she was in ministry. Of course she was. And she had a strong faith. And she said, but why are we? And I said, his parents are not doing good. I said, his father's going off the rails. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do. I just, I can't wait to hug him and hold his hand. I had this rosary. Um, it belongs to my great aunt. I, when she died, I took a, a Virgin Mary statue and it has about maybe 15 or 20 rosaries on it. So one I gave to my dad when he was dying, but I, I pried it out of his cold, dead hands because I was like, well, I want that because it, you know, and then I gave one to like my goddaughter and then I, and then I had this rosary in my hands and I had it in my, in my hands with Lee but I didn't leave. I think that's dramatic. I don't think people need to be buried with these things. I think, no, I want this. This was, you know, I have my dad's rosary and this is Lee's rosary. We said the rosary with him last night. And she said that we are flesh. Cause I was like, what is the whole nonsense with us freaking out that people die? Like it would be morbid if only some people died, but literally every single person dies. So why do we freak out so bad? And she said, because we are a flesh, because we are a flesh. And she said, she was talking about the bishop and she was so passionate. It was all of a 10 minute. How long is that ride from Bucky's Heroes? All of 10 minutes? Oh. 
And she said that pain is so real and that pain will never go away. And you can never deny one human the pain of losing another human being. And I said, but God said we were going to come here. We were going to suffer. And I wish I knew her name. I wish I knew who she was. I'm sure I could track it down on my Uber app, but I was sort of blacked out because I was on my way to your, your house and it had been a long day. And that was a long way of explaining, you know, I'm a little long winded in all of my stories, but it was just remarkable how deliberate that person was. And that story was, and had I gotten there five minutes earlier, it would have been a different Uber driver. If I'd gotten there an hour later, it would have been a different Uber driver. And it's why I walked into your house and I was just so, I was so comfortable. It was a very heartbreaking situation to walk into, but there's something bizarre about uh, Christianity that we know that our relatives are going home, you know? So for a non-believer, they just think, man, you're out of your mind. You're not upset that someone's about to die. You're not having a hard time. And it's like, well, they're just going home to be with Jesus. I mean, I'm going to miss them a lot, but no, they're just going home. And it kind of, it just, everything that we talk about sounds insane to a non-believer, but I'm really grateful that it can sound insane to them, but it brings us comfort, you know? So I went into your house and I had, I had a lot of comfort um, and the heartbreak only came for you guys. And the heartbreak came for why did, why did Lee have to be used? Why were you guys used as an example in this suffering? The way Connie says you're chosen for certain things, almost like God chooses you. And my hurt was, why did Lee have to be an example for this many years and for this much time? Uh, but I felt so much comfort in his passing and that he was going home that I didn't even start crying about it or feel real. Can you hear me, Maria? I think your phone croaked. We'll do this again. I love you. Sorry that your phone died. Appreciate you guys watching. I'll upload this on the podcast. We'll have Maria on real soon again. God bless you all.